right, well, good morning from my side too. We are wrapping up our series on hearing God today. Uh, I hope, for those of you that have been attending, that there has been um, hopefully some encouragement and, and some level of stirring uh, as we remember that we actually have a God who speaks to us. We have a God who wants to talk, I think, often more than what we want to hear. I think we have a God who wants to impart wisdom uh, more often than what we are necessarily consciously asking for that wisdom. And so we've tried to look at a couple of practical ways to, to, to assist us in that, the most significant of which, and I, I don't want us to ever lose track of this, is through His written word, the Bible. Um, we, we may have a sense about certain things. Someone may even have a word of encouragement or a word of prophecy, as we looked at on the, on the one uh, Sunday in particular. But, but we always want to submit those senses, which are subjective. We want to submit those to God's expressed written word in context. And so we, we've made reference to the research that was done as to people that actually read the Bible or expose themselves to the Bible more than four times, four times or more a week, how much of a difference that makes in their lives compared to people that maybe expose themselves once a week, twice a week, three times a week, and so on. So we've encouraged you towards a four by four by four challenge. That's four times a week for four weeks a month, for four months, and our hope, of course, is that you are fully in. You're all in after four months as you actually develop this habit of actually hearing God. And I can't encourage you enough towards consistency. I think, I think the less we having to feel like we're playing catch up with God, the easier it is to actually sense His presence, to, to be reminded of His kindness, um, and so to actually be relaxed. I think something that stops us from hearing Him is where we feel uh, pressured, and you know, maybe there's guilt, oh God, I haven't spoken to you in like a month, uh, whatever the case is. And so for us to actually maintain that healthy, secure relationship uh, where it's far more on the consistent side, even if it's smaller chunks, but consistently, the, the difference that that makes to us actually being sensitive to Him throughout our normal day. What I want to take a look at today as we wrap this up is to kind of almost summarize what we've been looking at over the last several weeks, and that is the listening journey. If I was going to underline a word, I would underline the word journey, that we actually are on a listening journey in our relationship with God. And if you'll bear with me, I want to go back to the story that we kicked this series off with, the story of the two disciples, the followers of Jesus, they were on their way to Emmaus when Jesus suddenly appeared to them, walked with them, spoke with them, and then towards the end of that journey, He revealed Himself to them. But because of the, the way that Pete Gregg in his book, Hearing God, articulates this part that I want to share. I want you to allow me just to read a few paragraphs to you, because I think that he expresses, he articulates this journey that we're on in terms of how we, how we go through a systematic journey with God more beautifully than what I think I can within my own words. He says the following, our own struggles with recognizing the voice of God tend to mirror those of Cleopas and his wife, Mary. He makes a case in the book as to why he believes that the person traveling with Cleopas was his wife, Mary. So, so don't get too hung up on that. We too may be distracted psychologically, emotionally, intellectually, or spiritually from hearing the voice of God. We are whole people. There are all kinds of things that can compete for our attention. We live in an age of distraction. I think one of the greatest enemies, one of the greatest competitions to us actually hearing God is simply the level of noise, the level of stimulation, the, the, the level of distraction that we live with unknown in previous generations. 
Nothing, nothing in human history can compare to the amount of information, content, stuff that we have available to us. And some of it is good. Some of it is really, really good. But we still can only process so much. And so it's reassuring, he goes on to say, to see how meticulously Jesus unpicks each one. So the psychological uh, obstacles, the intellectual, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual. Shock and awe, he says, is not what traumatized or confused people require. Right now, these two disciples, they're walking on the day that Jesus has uh, risen from the dead, although they don't know that, they don't believe that. Um, all they know is that two, uh, two days prior to this, so they're walking on the Sunday, on the Friday, he had been murdered. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the hope of the world. So they are still walking under this cloud of disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement. What they thought, who they thought Jesus was, doesn't appear to be who they now think he is. And so Pete Gregg argues that in that moment, shock and awe wasn't what they needed. Jesus knew that the couple needed to come with him on a theological and intellectual journey, at least as long as the physical one from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and that there were no shortcuts in the process of rethinking reality. I, I love shortcuts, just so you know. I'm like, give it to me straight, give it to me clear, make it simple. I want to understand. I want to get it. So, the, so sometimes I find it frustrating that there are sometimes journeys involved in actually coming to a realization. There are times where, where, where I'd feel like, God, why didn't you show me this 10 years ago? And I think God would say, like, you were dwarf 10 years ago. Like, you wouldn't have got this 10 years ago. I mean, he's kind. You wouldn't say dwarf. But if I was God, I'd say I was dwarf. Like, like, there are things that I'm just not ready to understand and receive at certain parts of my life. And I think that they're going to be things another five or 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that I'm going to wish I had understood now. And again, I think God's going to say, Jason, like, you weren't ready. So obviously we have a responsibility to do all we can to be ready, but, but then we also have to trust God, who knows better than us, what we're actually ready for. And just so you know, that journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus was seven miles, roughly 11.2 kilometers. So probably, I mean, I don't, know, I don't think they would have been like speed walking, so probably like a two-hour journey, give or take. First, he asks questions. This is Jesus. And I've said before that God never asks us a question for his sake. He's not looking for information. It's for our sake. First, Jesus asks them questions, and then he listens as they express their deep disappointment and process a little of their pain. I want to remind you that we can only meet God in reality. When we give, give up facades, when we give up um, some of these neat Christian you know, masks that we put on to look like everything's perfect and we've got all the hope we need and we have all the faith we need and, and we have all the peace that we'd like to have. No, no, when we actually get past some of that stuff and we're just honest with God, where we don't see our emotions as stumbling blocks, but actually as stepping stones to God. He listens as they express their disappointment and as they process their pain. I think God is a much better listener than what we give him credit for. I think he's a compassionate, empathetic God who listens. I know this whole series has been about us listening to God, but is it possible that God listens to us more than we give him credit for? Is it possible that he pays attention? Next, he takes considerable time to unpack the scriptures. If you read the original context, 
in, uh, I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, it says how Jesus started off with the, the writings of Moses, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets. Basically, it's most of the Old Testament, excepting for the wisdom literature, unpacking for them, explaining to them why the very things that they are grieving needed to take place as it related to the Messiah. In doing this, Jesus addresses the theological misconceptions that are blinding them to the walking, talking miracle right before their eyes. Upon reaching Emmaus, he steps into their home, their safe space. It's almost like, think about this, it's almost as though he's built up some credibility with them as they're talking. Um, I've mentioned before how our relationship with God, that development of trust is a journey. Very few people just suddenly have a revelation and boom, they trust God all in, carte blanche surrender. For most people, especially critically thinking people, it is a journey of trust. It is a journey of learning to believe that at first you hope, but then you actually come to believe that he is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. It is a journey. And, and I think it's a beautiful picture of how Jesus journeys with them, unpacking first their intellectual objections, their, their theological objections, to where they are comfortable bringing him into their safe space, their home. And you'll find that in your relationship with God, we go on a similar journey where over time, we trust him enough to bring him into our safe space, into where we are most vulnerable, where we are most real. Having addressed their emotional and intellectual distractions on the road, Jesus knows that they are now at last ready to have their eyes open. And so at the meal table, he reenacts the Last Supper. Mary and Clippers may not have been in the upper room the previous Thursday, but they would surely have heard about it from those who were. And then Jesus lifts his hands to bless the bread and the cup. All, as he does this, all remaining doubt is dispelled as the scars on his wrists become visible and the penny drops. The veil finally parts. Their minds have been opened intellectually. Their hearts have been comforted relationally. And now their eyes are opened spiritually. It's a journey. It has taken Jesus several hours to get to this point. Carefully, systematically addressing the various different factors contributing to the couple's unintentional blindness. And if it takes this long for this couple to perceive Jesus when he is physically present, fully visible, right there by their side, we shouldn't be surprised if it takes us a while to see and hear Jesus by our side. Yeah. I want to encourage you, listening to God, hearing God, is more often than we would like to admit, a journey. It's a journey that requires patience. It's a journey that requires perseverance. It's a journey that requires the, the willingness to, to dare to trust His grace as we come back to Him, as we try again, as we, as we acknowledge stuff that maybe we've allowed to get in the way. But it is a journey. It is a journey. It is a journey. And journeys require patience. Journeys require perseverance. If you've ever done a long road trip with kids, you know, it can require some patience because, like, they want to be there. It's like we just left home five minutes ago. It's like 12 hours ahead, you know, which is when you start considering leaving your kids on the side of the road. And, you know. Side note, Graham and Jenny Evans, who many of you know, uh, once forgot their child at, 
at a petrol station. Kelly Evans. Kelly and Dino, who lead Tigerberg. Um, I think that they were like on their way to Joburg or something and they forgot her in Kimberley. I, I, to this day, I don't know how long it took before they realized that they were missing one of their three kids. Um, and she would have been small, like small, small. So I, I just love to hold it over Graham. Um, getting back, getting back, getting back to the story. This quote will be up on the screen. The last one from Pete Gregg in his book, Hearing God. He goes on to say that it is noticeable or notable that children find it relatively easy to hear God, but then we grow up and steadily accumulate layers of doubt, disillusionment, and disappointment. Slowly but surely, the material world loses its inherent magic. Life is demystified, and our senses become desensitized to the whisper of God. Is it possible that we may need to increase our capacity for the mystifying parts of life, like to actually believe that there is mystery, that there is stuff that we don't fully understand, that our ways are not his ways, that our thoughts are not his thoughts, is it possible that we might need to hang on to a little bit of mystery in order to hang on to appropriate sensitivity to him? Because there is something mystical about this, let's be honest. If we're going to dare to believe that the creator of the universe might actually share something with us, Reveal something to us, even if, you re, even if you're sitting with his revealed word of God, to, to believe that, that he's going to take something that's in the word of God and, and, and apply it to us personally, there's a bit of mystery attached to that. To, to, to be praying and just sitting quietly and to trying to hear God asking him for wisdom on a particular situation and you get a thought that you just, you have the sense that it's not actually your thought, maybe this is God. There's an element of mystery to it. I think that in the 21st century, and, and I'm, I'm telling you that I would probably be first in line to being guilty of this, because there is so much information available for us to understand and to break things down that we can sometimes miss the fact that God is outside of all of our formulas and all of our boxes that we'd like to check. There is some mystery attached. And so I think we need to allow for a little bit more of that in the journey which again requires patience and perseverance in order to be more sensitive. Let's not be desensitized because life has become demystified. So, practically speaking, I want to leave you with a few tips on what some have called listening prayer. If you did the prayer practice earlier this year in life group, this is coming straight out of the, the participant's guide in practicing the way. And you may have been doing this for many years. If you have been a follower of Jesus for many years and you just never called it this and you might never have gone through these systematic steps, that's okay. There's some mystery involved. The bottom line is we're just trying to position ourselves to hear God. But if you want to think through steps, here are a couple of tips. Number one, to breathe. I know that's profound, massively challenging, but to actually slow down enough to pay attention to the thing that we probably take most for granted on any given day. To slow down and to breathe. Yeah. To become aware of our breathing. Remember, we live in a world of, of, of incredible, innumerable distractions. So for us to actually slow down and to breathe, to breathe in, to breathe out, slowly, intentionally, I think it helps us to, to become more focused and present where we are instead of our minds being everywhere else that they tend to be. Some have suggested that, that as you're breathing, you might just want to refer to one of the titles of God. You might, you might just breathe, breathe in and just breathe out, saying, Father. Yeah. 
Father. Or maybe it's Jesus. Or maybe it's Holy Spirit. Help me to be aware of you. But just to breathe. Secondly would be silence. Silence is where, is where, and this, in my opinion, at least for my personality, this has always been way harder than what it sounds. Silence sounds so simple. Anyone ever try to be silent? It's like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's like hectic. But again, most people in spiritual direction and spiritual formation will encourage you not to judge those experiences harshly, not to be discouraged by it, but to, but to just try and quieten your mind. To, 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 so definitely to have all devices switched off or put on flight mode and that kind of stuff. And just to, again, that's where maybe a word or a phrase helps us to be, to be silent in a sense, maybe not technically, but, but where we are being focused. Silence is more about being focused than there not being a single sound. Yeah. Anyway, but also what I do like is the encouragement to actually pray that God would also silence the voice of the enemy. So as we are trying to be present, as we're trying to be silent, to actually pray, Father, please protect me from any lie, from any deception, from any thought that is not from you. And then third, this makes a lot of sense, is to actually ask the Spirit to speak to you. To actually ask. Is it possible that we would hear just a little bit more if we asked just a little bit more? Holy Spirit, is there anything that you want to say? Is there anything that the Father wants to share? To actually ask. And then, fourth, and very simply, to actually open our mind and heart to listen. So, so to not be in a rush. Now, now this, this whole process might take you five minutes, ten minutes. And again, I want to keep reminding you. We've said this many times, and I will say this. I'll beat this drum probably until the, ta- the day I die. I want to discourage you from over-aiming at massive loads of quantity which is far too irregular, sporadic, drawn out, as opposed to rather aiming at small bite-sized chunks that you're more likely to be able to do again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So if this is five minutes, if this is two minutes, if this is ten, whatever it is, rather, so even in your reading of the Word, commit to smaller, smaller commitments that you can do more consistently than massive quantities that make you feel like a hero today and a zero for the rest of the year because you never get back to, to that level. So then let's actually open our mind and our heart to listen. And you know what? You might just be surprised. You may just actually have a sense. You may feel that God draws something out of the passage that you've just read, or you might feel like God just, just whispers something into your mind. And when I say whisper, I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically. You're most likely never going to hear something audible. Some people might. I have never, but I've had a strong impression from God, and I've had very mild impressions from God, and I've had what I have felt is complete silence from God. Can we be okay with all of those options? I remember the one day, and I mean, there have been many moments, but, but one that I think stood out to me more than many others for a few reasons was one day when I was sitting here in the middle of this hall, I think all the lights were off, I think all the chairs were packed up, this is a few years back, and I was just reflecting on a, on a psalm that I'll mention to you just now, and as I was, as I was just trying to be silent, which was hectic. I felt, like, I felt like I was on some kind of, you know, drug in terms of just, like cats running around in your head. And I just kept trying to just come back, just come back, just trying to be quiet. And then I reflected on that passage. And I, and I, and I had this clear sense, not an overwhelming sense, but just a clear sense of God saying to me in a particular moment, Jason, we're good. And that really stood out to me. And then it really stood out to me how surprised I was that God would say, Jason, we're good. 
and not for any major reason. There was like no major corruption about anything. Just, just God was speaking into an area that, looking back, I realized was a low hum of condemnation. There was always this low hum of nothing's ever quite good enough. And so for me to actually just sense God saying, Jason, we're good. First of all, I was quite encouraged when I first heard that. And then I was shocked that I'd be surprised. That, like, God would, like, why would that be such a big deal to me? But it, but, but it was a very, very clear sense. It was just simple. Just simple, but it was clear. It might be a word. It might be a phrase. It might be a scripture. It might be a thought. It might be a metaphor. It might be a picture. It might be even just a feeling. Like, I think it is possible for us to actually have a sense of God being close to us. To actually have a sense of God's love without us being able to put words to it. Of us actually having a sense of God's peace. Again, there have been times in my life where, where for, for different reasons, it took a lot for God to bring me to this point, but where, but where I started to appreciate His presence more than perspective. I craved perspective in order to have peace. I then realized, actually, that's not scriptural. It was actually His presence that brings peace. And so there were days where I would be facing challenges that I, had, that I knew I had no answers to. And in the past, I would have wanted that perspective, but... But because of my experiences, I realized, God, help me just to be aware of your presence. And I would then grow in my way. I would feel like God would make me aware of his presence in that moment. And that would give me peace. And then I could labor. I could persevere with needing the answer, needing the wisdom. So it could just be a sense. However, however, everyone back here, screensavers off, pay attention. Don't judge your experience. Don't judge God. Don't judge you. I'm telling you that probably, more often than not, I can't guarantee this, maybe you're very fortunate, but more often than not, you're not going to get an immediate answer or an immediate sense. Can we please be okay with that? Again, there is an element of the mystical that we, we try. We don't know if it's that we're too distracted. We don't know if we're just not ready often reminder of that story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18, 19, where, where he just had this incredible encounter. Sue spoke about this last week on, on the mountain, and then the next day he's like suicidal. He was so discouraged, so spent, so exhausted. And how God kindly, gently came to him. And again, first, it was a journey. He first met his most basic needs, which was for food and sleep. Yeah. More food, more sleep. More food, more sleep. And then he took him on a journey of 40 days. So I would even add exercise to that. And God shared stuff with him after 40 days that Elijah was not ready to receive 40 days previously. It wasn't that God needed 40 days to buffer and figure out the answer. He knew the answers. God wasn't not ready. Elijah wasn't ready. And that's not a diss on Elijah. That's just reality. It's okay. So can we be okay with being a little bit more like Elijah where maybe, maybe we're not ready or, or for whatever reason God says this, this isn't the time, but we keep positioning ourselves to listen. We keep positioning ourselves to try and hear. And, and can we just trust God that he's good enough and kind enough that if we're doing what we can, that if it's the right time, that he'll share, he'll prompt, he'll whisper, he'll, he'll encourage us. I'm just telling you, that's been my experience. And, and I can be hard-headed, like seriously. I struggle with concentration. I struggle to focus. I struggle to work through every imperfection that's going on. I can tell you that God is patient and kind and gentle 
And if we will just keep posturing ourselves, keep doing what we can to be open and available, man, I think God wants to speak a lot more than what we want to listen. So when we're ready, I'm just telling you, he will share. Having said all of that, I want to come back to the Bible. Any sense that you have from God, let's test it against Scripture. And if you don't know what to test it against in Scripture, speak to someone that's a bit more experienced, someone that's maybe a little bit further ahead on the journey, that's, that's more aware of, of where these things would be addressed in Scripture. Because we definitely don't want you to be, you know, jumping off the cliff because you had a prompting and it wasn't God. Make sense? Okay. Last one, very quickly, and then I want to actually get you to respond. We're going to get you to actually try and listen. It's a good idea, right? If we're talking about listening, let's get you to actually try and listen. The last one is, is what many have called the prayer of examine. Again, if you did the prayer practice, you would have seen this in the participant's guide. Um, and this is something that I have found personally helpful over the years. Some people approach it differently. I want to go through some of the tips that are suggested in the prayer practice that we did earlier this year. The first, again, is to be aware of God. Just to, which again speaks to slowing down, being quiet, being present, breathing, being silent, just, just becoming aware of God. Typically speaking, the prayer of examiner would happen at the end of a day. It could happen at the, at the end of the week, but, but there's a good chance that doing it more regularly is a more helpful exercise. So let's become aware of God. Review the day with God's spirit. And again, be kind to yourself if this is hard. When you're just trying to remember three hours ago, let alone the beginning of the day, it's okay. Don't be hectic. Just, God, is there anything that you're wanting to bring to my attention? Number two, look back with gratitude. Is there anything in the day? Anything. And you might be thinking, there was nothing. Just find something. Maybe nothing happened in the day, but you know what? Someone still loves you or, or you, still, you were still able to. Listen, increasingly, I am becoming aware of how grateful anyone that has a fixed place to stay in, how grateful we should be. When, you, when you're encountering people, individuals, and families that for reasons that are not what would be easily easy to judge have fallen on what we call hard times and are living out of a car, living out of a tent, I'm telling you, to wake up under a roof, to have access to water, or maybe you have access to water within your own home. Guys, I'm just telling you, there, there are things to be grateful for. If you have people, anyone near you that you trust, as opposed to having to hold on to everything while you try and sleep. I'm just, there are things for us to be grateful for. Is there anything in our day that we can pay attention to and express gratitude towards? Number three, notice your emotions. Yeah, that's like. This is a lot easier for some people than for others. I always want to remind men in particular that anger is an emotion. Frustration, aggression, these are, these are emotions. But so is embarrassment, disappointment, um, feeling, you know, undervalued or betrayed or, or just, just discouraged. Is there, is there, as well as joy, you felt affirmed, you felt encouraged. Um, something went well, you celebrate a win. Notice your emotions. I'll say it again. We can only meet God in reality. And our emotions are often, okay. Hopefully you understand the statement. Our emotions are always real, even if they're not right. Now, what I mean by that is, so let's say, I don't know, let's say I, someone does something and I get angry at them. Maybe I misunderstood that or I've misjudged that, and so it's not actually, I, when I figure it out, it might not be the right, the fair emotion, but it is a real emotion. 
And so unless I can deal with reality, unless I can actually acknowledge, I felt ripped off when that happened, and unless, unless I can acknowledge that, how, how does God come and calm me down and give me peace and say, Jason, uh, maybe, maybe what he wants to tell me to do is to just, like, just maybe hold off on judgment. Yeah. Maybe just go and maybe go talk to the In fact, <laughs> I had someone between the services in tears because of how offended this person was with me. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just saying. But fortunately, Sue brought the person to me to, to just clarify what had been a misunderstanding. I had asked a question that, that was for the, the right purpose. It was noble. But this person had interpreted me asking that question for a different reason. And so, and so Sue was like, just give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's go talk to him. What I'm saying is that emotion was real. Yeah. It's real. In this particular case, it just wasn't right because I, I, the reason I was asking the question is because if I didn't ask the question, I might have, uh, my reaction, so how I helped would have actually hurt. That was the only reason. But because there's all kinds of other crazy stuff going on in this person's life, it was interpreted through a very, very, very negative light. So, you know, the emotion is real. I don't want to dismiss that. I don't want to invalidate that. But it might not be right. So notice your emotions. Number four, pray for one piece of your day. Maybe, maybe there's a particular part of your day because you're not going to necessarily be able to unpack every minute of your day. Maybe there's one part. Maybe there's one interaction. Maybe there was one project that you had to work on that you slacked off on or that you, or that you overcommitted. Is there one thing? Maybe it, was, maybe it was one conversation with someone that the Holy Spirit is just wanting to bring to your attention. And then number five, look ahead to tomorrow. Ask God to actually prepare your heart for tomorrow. So you're looking back, but you're also looking ahead. And the, the, the psalm that I was referencing earlier, which I have found incredibly helpful, probably the most consistent passage that I'll refer to if I'm praying, like prayerfully, this prayer of examine will be Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, where David is praying. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is the passage that I was praying when I'm like, search me, God, know my heart. And I'm so used to think, God, like, just show me my heart. You know, that was when I was like, so surprised. God said, Jason, we good. Like, relax. Take a breath. This is such a great passage to reflect on. However, however, I think that if we don't read the first several verses of this psalm, and if we can't echo David's, I think to the extent that we can echo David's heart of trust towards God in the first part of the psalm is the extent to which we can confidently, without fear, pray these prayers. We're saying, God, search my heart. Not, search my heart. You know, but, like, but like, I'm terrified. Like, I mean, don't really. Just, just tell me, we, you know, like just, but if we're secure. So this is also the psalm where David says, you, you formed me in my mother's womb. I can't, I can't outrun you. You, you know the days before they even come to pass. You've made me fearfully and wonderfully complex. He, the first parts of the psalm is David saying, you know me, you made me, you love me, I can trust you. So, search me and know my heart. I trust you. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I trust you. Point out anything in me that offends you. Because I trust you. Oh, and most importantly, lead me on the path of everlasting life. Because I trust you. 
Guys, our heart, it matters. Our posture, it matters. I want to encourage you towards the listening prayer. I want to encourage you towards the prayer of examining. Even if you don't follow these tips, just can I encourage you as part of the habits that we form around prayer to just, to actually be conscious about listening, to give God space to speak. From time to time, if not daily, to actually examine the previous you know, block of time and to do that prayerfully before God. Now, as the worship team comes up, and they're going to do this incredibly quickly because I need your full attention, and I know that some of you haven't had your rhythm. Hey, Rickland helps me on certain days, so I'm not dissing anyone. This is everyone. There's always one. Yeah, Roy. Okay. In a few moments, I'm going I'm to release you to participating in communion and to trying to listen to God. The reason why I'm wanting to do this together and I don't want you to do this yet, but, but in a few moments, when I tell you, you can reach under your chair. There's a little container under there. There are two layers on that container. The very top one you lift off, and it gives you access to the, to the little wafer. The next layer, which you might have to like fiddle around with the thing. Some of you are just rebellious. Just, 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 just hang in there, guys. Wait. Wait. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Just, just hang in there. Because I don't want you to miss this. I want you to reflect on something that, I've, that, I've, that, that has become far more stimulating and challenging and encouraging to me lately than, than what I think it ever has before. So, so I don't want you to miss that. I'm just explaining practically. It's under your chair. When the time's right, you can participate. I want to remind you that in there, there's juice, there's a wafer. This, this reminds us of what happened at the cross. Jesus having his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Him laying his life down bought us freedom. So it, it paid the price for our sins, which means that, that He has set us free, but also He didn't just die for us, He was raised to life for us, which means we're not just set free, we can actually walk in freedom. We can actually walk in hope. We can walk in joy. We can walk in peace. We can walk in purpose. And so in a few moments, I want you to reflect on a question. But first I want to make a statement. I am increasingly convinced that Jesus is praying for you. Now, if that's just a simple thought and you want to move on, you haven't thought about that deeply enough. I want to suggest that Jesus is praying for you. I want you to imagine Jesus next to you talking to the Father praying for you. A couple of examples of this is on the night that Jesus was arrested in John, I think it's chapter 13 or 14, he prays for every single person that would become a follower of him. He, pr he prays for strength, for unity. He prays for us. Also, shortly before Jesus was arrested, we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, how he, how he encourages Peter, who was also called Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded for you in prayer that your faith would not fail. You're going to fail, but I've already prayed that your faith will not fail. 
So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Simon, Peter, I have pleaded for you in prayer. Romans 8, before we put the passage up, I want to point out to you that many scholars believe the book of Romans to be the most significant doctrinal book in the New Testament. And in that book, for chapter 8 to be the most significant of all the chapters. Romans 8 verse 34 says, Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Pleading for us. That has to be a big deal. Lastly, Hebrews 4 verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest in the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews, is all about applying what used to be the system in the Old Testament to what is now our reality in the New Testament. And the Old Testament, the priest used to be the person that would go and represent the people to God in the Holy of Holies. The author of Hebrews is saying, we have this high priest, Jesus. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He's saying, the author is saying, hey, Jesus understands that temptation. Jesus understands that insecurity. Jesus understands that fear. Jesus understands what it feels like to be betrayed. He understands. I think he'd be saying that it's possible that right now Jesus is saying, Dad, we need help. We need to send reinforcements. I know how tough that is. I know how discouraging it is. I know how fearful that is. He is pleading for us. Verse 16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So this is my proposal that Jesus is praying for you. Here's my question. What might Jesus be praying for you? If Jesus is praying for you, wouldn't you like to have a sense of what he's praying? Can you imagine, can you imagine actually being an earshot of Jesus saying, Father, would you help them to resolve that conflict? Father, would you give them confidence and courage? Help them to see your calling. Help them to see your gifting. Father, would you help them to take that risk, to step out onto the water as it were, to, to believe you at your word. Father, would you help them to persevere, to hang on, to keep doing what they can because I know that I know that they are just they are just around the corner from some kind of revelation, some kind of breakthrough. If Jesus is praying for you, whether it is to realize something, whether it is to accept correction, whether it is to accept encouragement, whether it is for revelation, guys, if Jesus is praying for us, that is a flipping big deal. And I think it is worth asking the question. Not judging it if you don't sense the answer, but to ask the question, Jesus, what might you be praying for me? So as you take part in communion, which you can now do, you can now reach under your chair, you can now grab the emblems. I want to encourage you in your own timing to simply reflect on that single question. Jesus, the one who bled and died for me, 
and was raised to life new, which I am celebrating and remembering as I take part in this communion. Are you really praying for me? And if you are, if you are, would you help me to discern what it is that you're praying for me? Now we're gonna give you two or three minutes of relative silence as you reflect on that question prayerfully. Do we agree? Do we think He's worthy of all praise? Is He worthy of us growing in our trust, growing in our obedience, growing in our desire to hear Him more and not just so that we have another opinion on the matter, but in order to actually obey, in order to surrender? I so often am reminded of this thought that if we only knew how good God is, we would trust Him more. If we only knew how good God is, we would trust Him more. We would trust Him more. We would obey Him more. We would, we would, we would recognize the privilege that we have of regularly just slowing down to be present, to speak to Him, have Him speak to us, or just to be with Him, or to slow down enough to look at God, looking at us with love. I cannot encourage you enough. Growing in hearing God is not a nice to have. It's not a luxury. It is essential to spiritual vitality. It is essential to living out the destiny, the purpose, the plan that God has for us.